Welcome to the Old Time Radio Westerns. I'm your host, Andrew Rines, and today's episode is going to be brought to you by Amazon.com. If you plan on doing any online shopping, first check out otrwesterns.com slash Amazon to start your shopping experience today. And by VenusVixen.com. It's a brand new beauty column where celebrity makeup artists, famed hairstylists, and other top industry leaders share professional insider tips and tricks about hair, makeup, skin, nails, and even more. It's a community for beauty enthusiasts eager to discover the latest beauty buzz. Check it out by going to venusfixin.com or check out the show notes site. Today's episode, normally we play Challenge of the Yukon. I know not everybody's too fond of that, but I have a special for you guys today. The normal lineup is falling exactly within date of everything else. So it's within, you know, a couple days of it originally aired back in 1946. So what I'm going to do is, instead of my normal just keep playing it through, we're going to take a break, just like they took a break. So what's going to happen is, this is a special series, it's called Horizons West. And what Horizons West is, is it's a 13-chapter syndicated radio docudrama of the Loris, Loris, Lewis and Clark expedition. Uh, the script's really good, and so is the acting. It's got a lot of the people that we've heard in other um, shows, Harry Bartell, uh, John Anderson... And a couple of other ones, you know. So it's, it's definitely quite good. Uh, this, this first episode is called Mr. Jefferson's Dream. And I hope you guys enjoy. And send me some feedback. Podcast at otrwesterns.com. Um, I might actually put a poll up there, so check that out. And rate it. Let me know what you guys think about the show. If you like it, if you hate it. If you like it, we may throw it in. It's only 13 episodes, so there's not a lot in there, but I'll bring it to you and see what you guys think. Now, normally I tell you guys about when this aired and things like that. There's no actual air date um, from this. We know that it's 13 episodes. Uh, There's no exact date, so I can't give that to you guys. But like I said, the first episode of Horizons West is Mr. Jefferson's Dream. Hope you guys enjoy, and again, send me your feedback. Russian West. It became American primarily because of the explorations of two young army officers, Meriwether Lewis and William Clark. Their pioneering journey stands as one of the great achievements in the history of the United States. Hello, Sergeant. Welcome back, sir. Hope you had a tolerable trip. Well, I took a new trail from Detroit, 
and ran into an Indian situation that looked tight for a little while, but you know me, Sergeant. Paymaster First Infantry can't let the men down. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Who won the election? Jefferson. Noble Sir Thomas, the champion of the common man. Good old Mr. Jefferson. He made it. He made it. He probably can do all I like. No control. What was that, Sergeant? Are you criticizing me or Mr. Jefferson? Just giving an opinion, sir. What this country needs is a ruling class. Sergeant, you're an idiot. Three cheers for Tom Jefferson. What's going on here? I'm starting to work. Oh, you, Louis. Yes, sir. The sergeant just told me. Mr. Jefferson was elected president. And you're letting everybody know you're friends with him, is that it? I voted for him, if that's what you mean. No, not exactly, Captain. There's a letter for you from him in my office. Come in. A letter from Mr. Jefferson? Looks to me like a personal letter. Our families are neighbors in Virginia. Here. It came by special messenger the day before yesterday. Thank you, sir. I'm surprised to hear from him when he's busy taking over such a big job. Well, Captain, good news or bad? Dear Lieutenant Lewis, <laughs> I have to tell him I made Captain, Master. In view of my recent election to the presidency of the United States, I find that I will require a private secretary. Your tact and social adaptability, your knowledge of the Western country of the Army has rendered it desirable for public as well as private purposes that you should be engaged in that office. If you accept, please obtain approbation from General Wilkinson and repair to the presidential mansion, Washington City. What do you think of that, Colonel? I am to be the new private secretary to the president. I don't understand it, Lewis. You, a secretary? Why not, sir? Well, if your written reports are any indication, you don't have a hand. You have a rooster scratch. And you can't spell. Come, Captain. Why would the president want you for a secretary? Very simple, Colonel. He likes me. Horizons West, the continued story of the Lewis and Clark expedition. Now, with Harry Bartell as Meriwether Lewis and John Anderson as William Clark, Listen to Chapter One, Mr. Jefferson's Dream. Years before he was elected president in 1800, Thomas Jefferson had dreamed of exploring the unknown lands west of the Mississippi River. Unknown lands that were said to contain wonders such as a mountain of pure salt and prehistoric mammoths. Now that he had been inaugurated, Jefferson was in a position to realize his dreams by sending what he liked to call a core of discovery into the West. Because of certain political and commercial rivalries, such an expedition would have to be kept secret as long as possible and would need superlative leadership. After considering a number of young men, Jefferson finally selected the leader, Meriwether Lewis, and had ensured the secrecy of the choice by offering him the job of private secretary to the president. My name is Meriwether Lewis, and I'm making what the colonel has called rooster scratches in my journal. In March of 1801, I was 26 years old, a captain in the 1st Infantry and paymaster for the regiment. I liked Army life, even though being paymaster meant I had to travel constantly through the wilderness parts of Kentucky, Tennessee, Ohio, 
and along the Mississippi frontier in order to pay the scattered troops of the regiment. I managed to make the rounds about twice a year. Anyway, on March 6, 1801, the day after I received my letter from Mr. Jefferson, I left the Army Depot in Pittsburgh on my way to Washington, the new federal city. The spring rains made the roads a slew of mud, and it took me over two weeks to reach the White House. Mr. Jefferson had gone for a short vacation to Monticello, but he left instructions for me to move into his quarters, where I would receive free food and lodging and a salary of $600 per year, much better than captain's pay, I might add. So I unpacked and tried to get settled before the president returned. A little more of the Boeuf Bourguignon, Merriweather. Boeuf Bourguignon. I was about to call it the best beef stew I ever ate. <laughs> Have some more. Mr. President, I've had two helpings already. Where did you ever find such a cook? In Paris. When I was there as United States Ambassador, I persuaded him to come home with me. Now, shall we uh, take our brandy into the library? I suppose you're anxious to know a little about your duties. Well, frankly, sir, I've been wondering why you chose me for the job. For the sake of morale, let's have one thing understood. Friendship had nothing to do with it. Yes, sir. Surely you could have found someone with a more impressive hand, and surely you had more qualified applicants. For a secretarial position, Merriweather, all of the applicants were better qualified than you. Then I don't understand. Well, think of the position as a sort of aide-de-camp. After all, secretary is only an official title. Like a general's aide? Exactly. And not a secretary. <laughs> I like to write my own letters, and I can, with either hand. And, uh... Later, I'll show you a copying machine I've invented. Now, all I really need is a file clerk, and that will leave you free to handle certain confidential matters for me. Yes, sir. I, uh, I wonder if you remember, nine years ago, you asked me if you could go on Andre Michaud's scientific expedition into the West. You were too young then, but now, now you're as qualified as any man to lead a similar expedition. Even if I fail like Michaud, I couldn't think of anything I'd rather do. I thought you'd feel that way about it. Now, you would explore the Missouri clear to its mountain headwaters, and then go on to the Pacific. If it is America's destiny to be a great nation, she has to go beyond the Mississippi. Your expedition may or may not be the first step in such expansion. And in securing our borders against the British and the French, well, I don't know yet. We have to let things develop a bit more, but I want you to think about such a trip anyway. Yes, sir. Oh, uh, have you seen this? I was admiring it, sir. It's a very handsome telescope. I'm trying to figure out how to double this refracting space in order to add light and magnitude. May I have a closer look? Scarcely a day went by when I didn't think about the expedition. Soon I was calling it the core of discovery, as Mr. Jefferson did. I studied, I prepared. About a year later, the president called me into his office. Come in. Good morning, Mr. President. You wanted to speak with me? Oh, oh yes, yes. Um, I thought I'd tell you to step up your preparations for the Corps of Discovery. Step it up? I will, sir, with all possible dispatch. Oh, devote full time to it. I don't have to remind you of the necessity for secrecy. Don't even tell your mother. <laughs> Least of all, my mother. She'd have it all over town. I, uh... I think you ought to know I'm secretly trying to buy New Orleans. Now that Louisiana is French again, 
That's the only way we can keep Mississippi open to American commerce. As long as Napoleon controls the river, we can't think of Western expansion. Sure, sir. Napoleon is almost sure to attack England. Now, part of British retaliation would probably include the occupation of Louisiana. There are no French troop contingents or Navy units in the area large enough to stop them. Can you imagine the British in our western border? We would use the Mississippi only after fighting and winning a major war, something we can't afford at present. We're to wait for news of the purchase negotiations? Oh, not at all. We'll explain your project as a scientific trip to locate the headwaters of the Mississippi. Very good, sir. Oh, if I can buy more of the New Orleans, I will. But once you're across the Mississippi and up the Missouri, you'll have won a partial victory. Also, I'd like you to get the Indian trade away from the British. You can do a lot towards that by establishing friendly relations with the tribes. Of course, you'll acquire detailed information about the route west to the mouth of the Columbia. I'm hoping the rumors are true that there's a single portage from the headwaters of the Missouri to the headwaters of the Columbia. A water route to the Western Ocean. Remember, water or land, we must have economic control of the continent. Yes, sir. We'll be outflanking Spain, France, and England all in one simple maneuver. Above all, Meriwether, the United States must grow. An expansion to the West is the natural direction. Yes, sir. Well, perhaps I'm asking too much, but uh, I hope you won't neglect the scientific side of the journey. All my adult life, I've wanted to know what lies beyond the Mississippi. I've heard so many stories, tales. People have brought me boxes of mammoth bones from there. You think of it. Actual prehistoric animals in the distant west. I wish I could go myself. I really do. I've been east to Europe. But you know that I've never been more than 50 miles west of Albemarle County. On January 18, 1803, Mr. Jefferson sent a secret message to Congress asking for an allocation of funds for the expedition. Congress complied, and I started gathering equipment and supplies while trying to cram navigation into my head at night. The more I studied, the more I thought of William Clark, who was a genius at navigation. Billy would be a great asset to the Corps of Discovery, but he was also a friend of mine, perhaps my best friend. And I couldn't pick his brains and take all the glory for myself. Maybe Billy could become my co-leader. I went to Mr. Jefferson to find out. Come in. May I speak to you, sir? Oh, of course, Meriwether, of course. Close the door and sit down. It's about the uh, science side of the trip, sir. Well, I'm glad you're giving it thought. Mr. President, I'm not possessed of enough learning Who to Who be... is Meriwether? Whoever knows enough... However, you're strong in botany, zoology, the study of minerals. Your knowledge of geography and navigation is sound. But not sound enough, sir. Do you remember William Clark, the younger brother of General George Rogers Clark? Billy, of course I remember him. A good boy. Well, Billy and I have been friends for a long time. In 1797, he was my company commander. In the next year, he resigned to go home to Kentucky and help on the family farm. He's 32 now. He's a first-rate soldier and frontiersman and a genius at cartography and geography. I think I could talk him into going with us. Oh, might be a good idea. You'd be more efficient with Billy to help. Go ahead. Enlist him as your aide. Not as my aide, sir. Co-leader. 
same rank, same pay, same allotment of glory, or disgrace. Are you that sure of him? I don't follow you, sir. Well, do you know him that well? Usually, having two leaders is the quickest route to dissension and failure. Not with Billy. If he can't help us, he won't have any part of it. I'd advise you to think it over carefully. I have, sir. We need Billy Clark. The decision is yours. You're the leader of the expedition. Hello, York. You look like you've been running. Yes, I've got a letter for you. Dennis George says it might be important. Ah, maybe, York. My old friend Meriwether Lewis at the White House. White House? Mr. Jefferson's house? Pursuant to the President's wishes, I am taking an expedition to explore the Missouri and the Columbia River Valleys, eventually ending on the shores of the Pacific Sea. I hope to return to Washington on one of the trading vessels that call now and then at the mouth of the Columbia. If there is anything in this enterprise which would induce you to participate with me in its fatigues, dangers, and its honors, believe me, there is no man on earth with whom I should feel equal pleasure in sharing them as with yourself. What do you think of that, York? He wants me to go with him. Well, I'd better find George. George. What's wrong? York, what's the matter with Billy? Uh, well, sir. Uh, uh, this letter, George. Read it. All right, all right, all right, sir. Welcome to Billy. Come here. What? Well, well, well. Billy, seems to me there's a great field over here for a young man of ability and energy. Billy, accepted one. Uh, well, what about the farm? You can't manage it all by yourself. Oh, crops are first rate this year. Jonathan, I'll hire some help while you're gone. Go with Captain Lewis. I'm glad you feel that way. I'll get our gear in order, sir. I'll get us some horses to ride. Us? I don't remember that Captain Lewis invited you. I'm not letting you go into that wilderness alone. Clark sent me an acceptance as soon as he could, and then left for Louisville to begin recruiting under instructions to enlist for a voyage up the Mississippi rather than the Missouri. Secrecy was still important. I left quietly for Pittsburgh in the Army Supply Depot to check off equipment I'd ordered. Everything was ready, including a new kind of air gun or cannon, which would shoot a slug through four inches of wood. Only the boats were slow in construction. The workmen were incorrigible drunkards, and the more I tried to hurry them, the longer they took. But then I met Scanlon. Oh, devils, why do they stall around? What do they gain from such infernal slow motion? When I assume a task, something always seems to go wrong. Like those men over there, the sodden lumps. Why must I have all the problems? I wonder if I'll ever get started. To stop talking to myself. I have to control these fits of depression. Too many of them could mean the failure of the trip. I must stop. Hey, boy, what are you blocking at? Ooh, you're big as a pony. 
I'm sorry, boy. I don't want to disturb you. Uh, he won't hurt you. He's just saying good day to you. What's his name? Alan. After me, brother. God bless him. He's a Newfoundland. Uh, not me, brother. The dog. Weighs nigh on to 200 pounds. Really? Oh, he's a fine man. My brother was a fine man, too. As big a man as Cannon as a dog. <laughs> Quiet down, my boy, and stop nuzzling the gentleman. It's rude of you. <laughs> well, he ain't much for strangers, sir, but he likes you. Hello there, Dodd. Nice, Cannon. What do you take for him? I'm going on a long trip. I need a beast like him. Well, I, I, I never thought much of telling Cannon, but... Uh, he does keep reminding me of my dead brother, and it ain't good to be kept in sorrow. I tell you what. Twenty dollars, that is yours. Twenty dollars? You must be out of your head. No dog's worth that much. This one is. Twenty dollars, that's my final price. All right. All right, I may be a fool, but you just sold a dog. Two weeks later, the boats were ready. With seven soldiers, a river pilot, three young men engaged on a trial basis, and Scannon, I started down the Ohio. The trip down river was difficult at first. Several times we had to have the heavily laden boats pulled over shoals by oxen. The local settlers charged exorbitantly for such services. But as the river grew wider and deeper, the trip became easier. We stopped at Fort Massac, where I was fortunate enough to meet George Drouillard. He was known to be an experienced man among the Indians, a good woodsman and boatman, a crack shot. I engaged him as an interpreter since he didn't particularly want to enlist as a soldier. And then we took to the boats again. Good weather made it a relatively easy trip to Louisville, where I was to meet Billy Clark. Easy with a pole. Bring her in gently. Easy. Line. Line. Tire tight. Billy? Hey, Billy! Fine, you put on a few pounds at the president's table, didn't you? <laughs> I guess I did at that. It's good to see you. And to see you. Hey, did you ever find a dog like that? He's a monster. That's Cannon. I bought him in Pittsburgh. Cannon? Here, boy, here. Say hello to Captain Clark, Cannon. <laughs> he sure is big. I'm glad he's on our side. Excuse me, Captain Clark. Jello George and Mr. Jonathan wanted you to be sure to bring Captain Lewis home for dinner. Did I hear the word dinner? You sure did. I accept. George Zuyak can take charge for me here. Oh, uh, excuse me, York. Meet Captain Lewis, my old friend. Meriwether, this is my man, York. I'm uh, taking him along. It's a pleasure, York. I'm honored, sir. I told York he'd be treated like the others as long as he pulled his own weight. With those muscles, you shouldn't have any trouble pulling twice your weight, York. <laughs> but all joking aside, as a man, you're on the same level as every one of us in the court of discovery. Thank you, sir. We had dinner that night with my brothers, General George and Jonathan. And the next morning, we left for St. Louis. The boatmen were expert, and in what seemed like no time at all, we had angled into the Mississippi. We headed north. Several days later, we stopped along the eastern bank of the river opposite St. Louis, where we would set up our winter camp. 
Billy handled the training of the men and ran the base camp, which left me free to range up and down the river in the surrounding countryside, gathering the last of the supplies, information, and what have you. I ran into some trouble with the local gentry who styled themselves private agents for Indian tribes. These voracious middlemen were responsible for most of the delays we experienced that first winter when we had to deal with the Indians of the Illinois Territory. At Fort Kaskaskia, I met more trouble in the shape of an obstinate commanding officer, Captain Bissell, whom I had encountered several times during my tenure as paymaster for the 1st Infantry. All you want is for me to transfer my two best men, Sergeant John Ordway and Private Patrick Gass, to your unit. Why, Lewis? Why? I told you once, Captain, Ordway is an experienced non-com, Gass is an expert carpenter and boat builder. The answer is no. But I'll be in boats for months. Suppose I need to make emergency repairs or build a new boat when I'm hundreds of miles from any base. No, Lewis, my men stay here with me. Do you mind telling me why? I refuse to weaken the potential of my command to make it easier on you. If you won't cooperate, I have no recourse but to give you this letter. All Army personnel, you are hereby ordered to honor any demand made upon you by Captain Meriwether Lewis. An order from him is to be considered an order from me. Signed, Thomas Jefferson. How about that, Bessel? Is that authority enough for you? Having read Mr. Jefferson's letter, Captain Bissell gave in with much grumbling. I left Fort Kaskaskia with Ordway and Gas, going directly to our winter camp. The electrifying news had come that Napoleon had sold all of Louisiana, not just New Orleans, to the United States. Everybody was filled with an outsized excitement. Everybody but Billy Clark. Great news, Meriwether. Great news. According to Jefferson's concept, Louisiana includes all the rivers of the Mississippi-Missouri system clear to their headwaters. That's thousands of miles to the western mountains. Yes. Come on, Billy, you should be as happy as I am. You should be telling the men to leave off work to celebrate. You can do that after we talk. Let's go to my tent where we can have a little privacy. All right. Here we are. Go on in. Now, what's this all about? Read what our esteemed General Wilkinson has to say. Well, Mr. Clark, due to the present strict organization of the Corps of Engineers, not only would it be improper, but it is impossible to, to offer you a commission as a captain. I find that the highest appointment I can give you is that of a second lieutenant in the Corps of Artillerists. Your rank, however, will have no effect on compensation received for traveling with Captain Moses' Corps of Discovery. Second lieutenant? Billy, I promised you a captain's commission, and Mr. Jefferson did, too. I'm sure he knows nothing about this. It's all Wilkinson is doing. I feel sure of that. Billy, there's no reason to talk about the letter to anyone else. As far as I'm concerned, the only difference between us is that I'm a Captain First United States Infantry, and you're a Captain First Corps of Discovery. Being a second lieutenant on paper didn't bother me too much once I had time to get used to it. I was a captain, according to everyone but Wilkinson. At 4 p.m. on May 13, 1804, we left camp and started upriver. 
We had one large 55-foot keelboat and two 50-foot canoes, one white, one red. All three were packed with 44 men and more than 12,000 pounds of supplies. On shore, moving parallel to us, was our hunting detail, George Gouillard and two men. Captain Lewis would meet us at the river town of St. Charles. At the moment, he was in St. Louis at the laboratory of Dr. Antoine Sogran, picking up small but important items for us. Hey, thermometers, Captain Lewis. As far as I know, the only handmade ones in all of Louisiana. Mr. Jefferson expects us to record temperatures all the way. As a scientific expedition must. When you next see his excellency, you may tell him your thermometers were made from mercury scraped from the back of an antique Parisian mirror belonging to Madame Sogrin, and the glass from that same mirror melted down and reshaped. Ah, also tell him Madame Sogrin did not speak to me for two weeks. Two weeks? But I asked you to make the thermometers only a week ago. Oh, I beg your pardon. I, I, I'm anticipating the future. I calculate that my wife will remain silent another week. Two weeks in all, huh? Then she will explode in a tirade, and I will wish again for a sweet silence. Look, look at the matches, my friend. Take one. Scratch it briskly on the top of this stove, huh? Why, it lights immediately. See, I call it a friction match. Each splinter I dip first in sulfur and then in phosphorus. Keep them dry at all costs. A thousand thanks for what you've done and for your ingenuity. I'm sorry Mrs. Sogrin is upset. <laughs> She'll recover. When I see the president again, I'll tell him he owes your wife an antique French mirror. I met the expedition at St. Charles and was in time for a special visit to Farmosaz, the settlement founded by the aging Daniel Bourne. So you're moving up the Missouri and across the divide to the Pacific. Where did you hear that, sir? I hope you haven't mentioned that theory to anyone else, Mr. Bourne. <laughs> I don't think you fooled the smart ones. Nobody gets together a fine expedition like this just to travel up the Mississippi. I wish I could go along. We'll make a place for you if you're serious. I, I wish it could be. I'm 69. No, this is your high tide. Mine was years ago, back in Kentucky. Oh, one thing. They've uh, warned you about the Indians. We hear the Teton Sioux can be quarrelsome. Quarrelsome? <laughs> if you underrate them to that extent, come next month and your scalp will be hanging from some Sioux lodgepole. Drying. It's that bad. Along with the Arikaras, the Teton Sioux make up a colony of river pirates. According to how they feel, they might let you pass with only the payment of half your goods. Or they might take your goods and send you back. Or they might take your goods and kill you all. What do you advise, Mr. Bone? Be men. Do what you must. Pay, parley, or fight. But never stop being men. But all Daniel Boone told us made us realize we were facing a huge task. The Tetons flew up toward the Dakota country were only one of our obstacles, if a man took the long view. But our goal was the Pacific, and it was time we got started. I gave the high sign to Billy Clark. All right, you men, push off! 
We've got miles and miles to make before sundown. been listening to Horizons West, the continued story of the Lewis and Clark Expedition. Chapter 1, Mr. Jefferson's Dream, starred Harry Bartell as Meriwether Lewis and John Anderson as William Clark. Featured in the cast were Don Randolph, Cliff Holland, Stan Farrar, Ben Wright, Les Tremaine, Tyler McVeigh, Bill Irwin, and Dal McKinnon. Our story was written by Carly and William Tunberg and directed by William Lally. Sound patterns by Gene Twombly. Michael Rye speaking. This is the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service. Welcome back. Okay, check out the show notes site, otrwesterns.com. Send me an email, podcast at otrwesterns.com. Call, leave me a voicemail, 707-98-OTRDW. Again, that's 707-986-8739. Until the next show, have a great day, and again, thanks for listening. <laughs>